Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. It's Play On with Rami Borai, and I'm your host, Rami Borai. Today on the podcast, we have Amina Ghali. She's one of the top designers over at Azafahmi. She talks about what it's like working for her mom and uh, what's it like uh, designing jewelry and how stressful it is. It's an interesting interview. I I learned a lot more than I expected, and this is the first non-music podcast, um, which I'm I'm actually really happy about. I, I always wanted to interview people that don't have to be in the music field, so this is me putting my money where my mouth is. I promised you guys not all my interviews will be uh, interviews with people who do things like music, so this is the first one. I also want to say thank you to Nairuz Abuzayed for hosting us. Uh, she was she was great. She brought us some uh, some nuts, uh, none of which I actually ate because I don't actually really like hazelnuts. But the fact that she brought them out there on a dish was really nice, and I, I appreciate that. So um, I'll just talk a little about my week. And um, you know, as a kid, how your mom tells you, "Don't play with the blender; it can take your finger off." She wasn't wrong. She she was she was giving you some good advice right there. Uh, I uh, I did not listen. I um I I was making some lemon meringue pie for uh, the missus and I was using the uh, hand blender and I got I got a little stuck behind the blade so I thought I'd try to pick it out and then continue uh, blending and the whole thing slipped and in a matter of seconds it uh, slipped on my thumb which turned it on while my finger was in there and I nearly lost uh, my, a big chunk of my index finger but. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, you know, it's not Ramadan until you spend one day before iftar uh, in the ER getting nine stitches. Am I right? I'm pretty sure I'm right. And um, it was kind of funny because uh, my wife was with me and she ended up almost passing out. So uh, there you are. You got me with uh, blood drip, dripping down my hands and nine stitches. And then you have my wife passing out. And uh, yeah, we didn't make for the most beautiful couple. But that said, uh, I survived. I actually recorded this interview on the same day. So be impressed. This interview was brought to you by Nine Fingers in use. So thank you, guys. Check it out. And uh, this is Play On with Rami Borai, Amina Ghali. Hey, how's it going, Amina? Uh, lovely to be here. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, how was your meal today? Uh, it was good, actually. We had uh, people over for iftar, so it was uh, pretty simple. My mom is pretty simple with her cooking, so it was really good. So not only is she a good uh, fashion designer, she also or jewelry designer, she also cooks a little? Uh, she's an amazing cook, actually. We call her the bionic woman because she has, like, everything is homemade. Jams, cheese, bread, everything. So, so you, you had a pretty healthy, like, upbringing food-wise, like, ate your vegetables and all that? Yes. We're not allowed anything in the house that's not natural or not healthy. What was it like growing up as a creative woman such as your mother? Uh, it was very amazing at times and very challenging at times because um, basically as a single mother, uh, my mother had to raise me and my sister and start up a business and um, you know, be a mom and there as um, she wanted to be there for us as a mother and as someone, everything in the house is being done as it's supposed to be and at the same time she wanted to start up a business, become a designer, go international and everything. So it was amazing and very inspiring. But at the same time, it was very challenging. It's, I know um, you, you currently right now are one of the head designers at, as a FEFME. 
Uh, I am her. I am the assistant designer. The so chief designer is um, my mother, and uh, I am her assistant, basically, or the second designer. What are the pros and cons of uh, growing up under Asif Hefmi? Uh, it's mainly pros, actually, I have to say. My mother was very strict with treating us as an employee. I had to apply for my job. I had to earn my, um, no free my position. Basically, I, had, I stayed three years within the production, learning everything there is to, that, I, that I need to know about uh, the business. And then uh, when she felt that I was ready to launch my first collection, I did. Um, being around her, it's amazing because she's an amazing mentor, she's an amazing teacher, and she's going to give you literally 120% if she could. Um, but at the same time, maintaining the, an employee, basically, you know, I get no privileges of being her daughter. Mm. So you had to really build your own resume, if you will, like, just like at any other fashion house. Like, you had to, you, your mom did not go, oh, she's my daughter, look at what she drew, we're going to design this this month. But she was literally like, no, I don't, like, has she rejected stuff you've done before? Yes, loads. Loads? <laughs> how, do you, how do you react with that? Like, you know, as a kid growing up, if I showed my dad, you know, one of my drawings, and my dad's like, well, you're a terrible drawer, you know, it hurts your feelings, but this is your mother, and this is also your passion. How does it feel, what are the emotions? You know? Well, I... For three years, I just watched very silently being around my mother, trying to learn everything that I can, and just secretly just designing um, uh, bits and pieces, few a uh, few different designs across different collections, but not really announcing it that it's mine, just testing the people's publics and everything, people's reactions mainly. Um, but basically, every time she rejected a design, I didn't take it personally, because I understand that at the end of the day, it's for the benefit of the business. There's no point of complimenting me and telling me, oh, this design is great, and then, you know, it goes to the market, doesn't do well, and then I'll be disappointed anyways. Mm. So you joined the fashion house in 2005, correct? Yes. And your first collection was in 2008, 2008. and it was animal prints, yes. correct? Um, how, how did it feel? to finally, you know, three years of just learning, and then bam, you finally got your collection. How did it feel? Um, very scary at first, I have to admit, because you're, um, a lot of people were, there was a lot of buildup of, uh, you know, as family's daughter is finally back in the scene, and she's gonna launch her first collection, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, is she gonna be like her mother? Is she gonna have the same style? Does she have a different style? Um, so, obviously, at the beginning, you're very scared about what people's gonna, what are people gonna think of you, but, once you see people's reaction and how positive it was, then it gives you that confidence to do better next time. What, where do you think you've evolved the most from your first collection to where you are now? Oh, lots of, lots of areas. Um, I think when I first joined, I pretty much I studied in Europe for six years. So I was obsessed with anything coming from the West. And um, my mother, on the other hand, was obsessed with anything coming mainly from the East. So... I think what basically happened over the years is the more I spend more time with her, I just, the appreciation for the culture, our culture, different cultures revolving around us, it just, it, you know, you learn more and you become, you can see how you can turn it into super modern pieces just by taking something that is coming from something completely different and just turning it into pieces of jewelry. Can you take us through a day in your life? Uh, I wake up in the morning. Nice. That's, that's, a key, that's a key step. <laughs> Waking up in the morning, you know. Right uh, and then mostly I meditate. Sometimes I don't, but I mostly meditate. Do my programs, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, and then um, I sit with my mother and we have like a recap of what I'm going to do in my day while having breakfast. 
And then I go to the factory and it's like an hour and a half commute. Uh, I first sit with the draftsmen. We have basically six draftsmen in our design department that pretty much take my sketch and then they draw it on 2D and 3D and Rhino and all these art camp programs. Um, and then I see the model makers uh, to see the prototypes, basically all these 2D and 3D sketches turned into pieces of silver and gold. What's it like the first time you hold something that you kind of came up with on paper and now it's in your hand? What is it like? What, what is that sensation like? It's amazing, but honestly, over the years, you kind of picture the piece because you've done it so many times. I, I also work with my hands. For five years, I've worked with my hands. So mm. when I draw something, I have some sort of imagination what it would look like. So. So it's not as amazing as I would imagine. <laughs> it, is, it is when something is very complicated and complex, then definitely it has this, oh, I did not imagine that. Mm. Uh, but if it's something more on the simpler side, it's like you, you, know, you kind of imagine it this way. Who are, um, who are the designers right now that you think are just ahead of the game? The ones that you are just in awe every time they release a piece? Um, I love Lara Bonick. Mm. You mean jewelry designers? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I well, love any designer you want. I mean, like, um, I like when you when you look at uh, when you look at pieces. I know you you obviously get inspired by outfits. You get inspired by um, by jewelry. You get inspired by many things. What makes you go, wow? This person is just blowing my mind right now. So for jewelry, I think research and techniques and sophistication of design is always something that's going to grab my attention. Um, I like people who've done their research, they're not just copying other people in the market or basically getting with the trend. I like people who innovate, come up with new trends, and really, really, they can take a regular trend that every other designer is doing and just really take it further. Did, um, did you always think you were going to go into jewelry design as a kid? Or yes. were you hoping, oh, well, there's that. Well, since I was 11. <laughs> so, ever since, so like, there's never a point where you're like, maybe I'll go into clothes? Like, primarily, you always just knew jewelry is... That's when it. I was 10. When you were, when you were 10, jewelry? <laughs> yes. I keep a diary, so I have proof. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to see that entry. Uh, yeah, you know what? Jeweler design, that's what I'm doing, March 14th. Um, Bam. Well, actually, I used to, as a kid, when I was about 11, I started signing off my best friend's uh, birthday cards. As, um, as a brand label, I would say future so-and-so. <laughs> what would so-and-so be? No, <laughs> like, I wouldn't tell you. Oh, you <laughs> got to Come on, no, come on, you got to no. tell. Yeah. No. All right. Then. <laughs> but I used to like I used to dream about becoming this really famous international jewelry designer that everyone recognizes and everything. So that's what I used to sign in the birthday cards, and they used to think it's pretty lame, actually. None of your. But do any of your friends still have those cards? Because I mean, hey. Yes. My best friend has all of them, and she's like, "What were you doing at 11, dreaming of that? You know, they would, pretty much when you're 11, you're dreaming of completely different things." But. I mean, you've stuck to your dream. You worked, so it's safe to say that you knew since 11. And did you ever talk to your mom about it at a young age? Or did you approach her maybe like, were you a little shy? Like, what's she going to say? Or did she kind of teach you the ropes from such a young age? Because obviously being a single parent, you know, you were around her a lot. We were around her and we helped her out during summers. So ever since I could remember, I ha we have pictures since I was five and six participating in, uh, for instance, uh, there was a, an exhibition that's being held every year in Oxford in England called Art in Action. And we have pictures uh, with my sister and I ever since we were five. Um, helping my mom out with the selling, with the setting up of the booth, with the marketing, talking about our brand, talking about the jewelry, explaining every piece. 
And then uh, I think starting seven or eight, we started going to her workshop during summers for a month. And we used to actually take my best friends as well and my sister's best friends. And we used to stay there for a month learning how to bead, learning how to file, learning how to saw. Um, so when you're doing that from a very young age, you kn you're not going to go and work you know, in, in a bank. You're going to work something art-related. And definitely, when I went to Italy, I went to Italy in uh, year 2000. And the first time I did a piece of jewelry, I was like, that's it. That's all I want to do. But do you, so you don't see yourself trying to explore beyond jewelry? I did actually for my foundation year in England. Um, I tried different kinds of art, so some ceramics to uh, woodwork, to painting, to uh, media, all these, you know, anything, art, fashion, photography. And I was attracted to some of, like, I love fashion, I love photography, but honestly, nothing compared to jewelry. I guess one of the trademarks of Azafemi is a stripped down style with little intricacies along the way. Like, um, in the new 2012 collection, there's a uh, earring that is just a solid, like, white gold or platinum, but then it has just a bit of writing in Arabic just around the hoop. And I think um, with Azafemi, that's one of the things you always notice. How do you guys know when to hold back and when to push forward with the design? Because I find, obviously, a mistake a lot of people do is they try to overcomplicate a design. But you guys do a very bare style, but with hints of complexity. How do, how, do you guys, how do you guys know when to hold back and when to go just go for it? I think it really depends on the theme of the collection. I think that's what really this, you know, that, that's what really decides how complicated the collection is going to be. Like, for instance, with something like the Pharaonic collection that we launched last year, uh, it was 10 years in the research um, and about three and a half years in the making. So something like that is going to be extremely intricate. It could be super modern, super simple. Uh, very clean-cut lines, but to get to those very simple, abstract, clean-cut lines, we went through hundreds of sketches, you know, and people automatically, when they lift the piece, they could see how much effort has gone into it and the level of intricacy that went into it. Uh, what is your process when you design what your theme's going to be for a collection? I think, for one, you have to... Um, it depends really what you're passionate about, what your current inspiration is. I think this is the most important thing. How do you get inspired? Like, what inspires you in your day-to-day -day life? Everything. <laughs> Literally everything. Uh, in a place like Egypt, we have so much around us. So you, ha you get from the Pharaonic to the Islamic to the Coptic to the modern. You have so much going on to the Romans. There's, there's so much happening everywhere. And it doesn't necessarily need to be jewelry. Because I think what my mother has done beautifully is taught me how to turn anything into a piece of jewelry. So we have so, much, so many pieces that are inspired by architecture in Cairo, uh, architecture in Nubia, um, windows. I have a whole collection that was inspired by rugs. Literally, my 2009 collection was literally inspired by rugs. So did you spend like, days looking at rugs, being like, that is some beautiful rug work? It, exactly. And I looked at so many different books, especially Iranian rugs. They have such beautiful rugs. Persian rugs are quite Exactly. Gorgeous. Sorry. Yeah. Persian oh, rugs. No. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, kind of the <laughs> level of intricacy and the motifs and everything and how they play with the color. And what was very difficult is that how you can see something that's literally flat and in color and try to turn it into 3D form and in silver or silver and gold into metal with no color whatsoever. Um, so that was the challenge. So literally, I, I have um, from the two, uh, 2008 modern collection, it was inspired by a coaster in a restaurant. 
literally just there was someone sitting in front of me and she had a beautiful coaster and I got up I apologized and I said you know can I take a picture it make a lovely pair of earrings and it did it was they were really nice has anything ever fallen flat like as a comedian sometimes I'll write down a joke and I'll be like I think this joke's gonna kill I go on stage and it bombs and no one laughs um, as a fashion designer, do you sometimes design a piece like this is going to be one hell of a piece? It comes out, and then everyone's like, hmm, it's all right. Like, has that ever happened to you? Yes. Everything that I love. <laughs> That's how it works. Every it's time you love something, you're like, this is the best thing I've ever done. Everyone's like, um, no, no, I don't like Well, it. we have a joke in the company that anything my mother and I would absolutely love is not going to sell. <laughs> it's, just, it's a joke. Does it break your heart? No, at all. No. But you're used to it? So, like, when you design now, are you like, I but love honestly, this, I don't right, see in the garbage? That's the thing. I don't see it as a failure. I just see it at different tastes. Do, it, you, do you ever make pieces just for you? No. Really? Why not? I imagine you would, honestly. Like, I figured, like, I figure your life is kind of like, you know, the, you know uh, when girls have, like, those Barbie make-your-own-earring sets? I figure that's your life right now. If like, I, you're just, like, if I tell you the earrings. schedule we run at in the workshop... Oh, I know your schedule. <laughs> you know how many times it took to book this interview? <laughs> I know your schedule. schedule. Nairus hates me right now from how much I uh, drove her nuts with emails. No, but honestly, like every time a piece didn't perform well in terms of sales, we always took it as we always analyzed that, you know, why didn't it sell? And you try not to repeat the same mistake. It's not a challenge like, oh my God, I'm heartbroken. I can't believe that something is not performing. Um, you just think, okay, how can I take this and turn it into a success? What do you do with your pieces? Um, that are left over, I guess, from the collection? Or do you just keep them until they sell? Nothing is really ever left over. If something is, if, you know, something, because it's jewelry, it's not fashion. I'm not creating a piece of, you know, a blouse and it's going to go out of style. Even if it's young and trendy and fresh, you can still wear it 10 years down the line. It's always going to be in style. Mm -hmm. um, so if it, you know, if it doesn't sell right away, it would always have its clients eventually. So we just, you say that you're very uh, motivated by and inspired by Egypt and the Egyptian people and whatnot. Um, what do you guys um, do? You have any programs to give back, or do you ever do you have any initiatives that at least you'd want to do to give back to the community? Of course, so we have loads of different initiatives in different parts. So you have something like the Newbury project, with, which my mother is currently working on. It's basically in Upper Egypt, uh, in Aswan. We're doing uh, different courses, which will be developed into a school where we have different teachers from Europe come and get inspired by uh, the environment. And you have students coming in to learn how to bead, learn how to be inspired, and turn it into a piece of jewelry. We had one course that was basically recycled. so. Anything that came from the trash, how can it be turned into something beautiful? Um, so this is one project that we're working on. We're also working on the Azafahmi Foundation, which is basically also going to be with education, hopefully the school. And loads of... <laughs> <laughs> you gave a look of hopefully, like, come on, let this work. No, not at all. It's just, it's a three years in the, in the in, yeah. you know, it's a process. So it should be like opening in, in, in autumn. <laughs> um, so we're, we're very hopeful about that. And uh, we also do little things like uh, we had the Anna Master bracelet, which is basically I'm the Egyptian bracelet, which just after, just after, just <laughs> after, oh, thank you. No uh, it was just after the church bombings in yeah. January 2011. See, it's good that you say it because a lot of people assume that that came out after the revolution, no, but that was before the revolution. It was before the revolution, and of course, coincidentally, the revolution started and three weeks got later. so much better. <laughs> <laughs> Where you guys like, wow, we called this one. 
But actually, it was for a charity. So basically, all the money was, you know, for to um, every couple of months, it was directed towards a, an organize a charity organization. That was one of the things. Um, that's actually one of the reasons why I bought it is because I knew that a lot of money went towards different mm. charities. It was a good cause. That's um, one of the like we also do. Um, I actually oh. did the designs for um, a project called Tasmim, which is basically the townhouse gallery in uh, in uh, downtown Cairo, and uh, basically it was with the Amadist also. Yes. Um, and it's a program. It was uh, well, the program developed over the years, but I think it, now it's a two-year. It was. Go it's going to be a two-year program where basically we provide, we sell the jewelry and our boutiques, and the money, the proceeds goes to Tasmim mm -hmm. to fund this organization. It's, it's good to see. Uh, it's good to. S see a big company such as SFME get back to the community and not just in show like a lot of companies you know just they'll just funnel money and be like here you go like look we gave money for this but you're actually trying to um, better the community you're trying to teach people like listen your garbage can be art uh, jewelry this can be that um, how do you like how what's more rewarding when you create a line or when after a day working with those guys like with the kids it's it's a very different kind of reward it's honestly I it's when we saw the the Newbury students, they just had a competition, and it was uh, basically we just I was on the board, people judging the competition, and seeing that these are students who only worked for two weeks was extremely rewarding to see that they're very happy. Uh, we had women from all over Nubia or from all over Upper Egypt come because they heard that there was a, a great woman teaching new techniques for beading, which was going to affect their work. So it's very rewarding hearing about such things, but it's also amazing walking into a place and seeing someone wear your work. So it's a different kind of reward. Do you get sometimes caught up when you see your piece of jewelry walk by you, like if you see somebody wearing it? I'm very blunt. I usually go up and say that that's, you know, I designed this. What are the reactions? Are they like, thanks? <laughs> or are they well, just like, Most of the sure time it's like, oh, this is so nice. It's my um, favorite piece. I bought it, I don't know when, and my husband bought it from me, I don't know when, and I wear it all the time, and my friends, and, and you know, they start telling me all these stories about this piece of jewelry, which is really nice. Do you really ever just nice. stop caring? Do you ever like, oh, no. I, I really don't care. I just wanted you to know this, no. me, all me. It's really nice. <laughs> I really made a scene uh, last June, literally a month and a half ago. I was sitting in London, and the woman right next to me was wearing one of my earrings, and I literally just got up and I almost hugged her. I was like, "Oh, you know, this is mine. And where did you buy it? And you know, how long have you had it? And just, and it's really exciting." Where um, is that the most foreign place you've ever seen your jewelry? Or no. Where, where's the most like? Where's the craziest place where you're like, I never thought I would see that there. Uh, India. India. You know what? I thought it was India. <laughs> I'm not even gonna lie. In my head, I'm like, this answer's gonna be India. But prepare yourself. Uh, where New Delhi or in New Delhi, I See? had Boom. I had I'm psychic. I it was this. really weird. It was actually a couple of years ago, and I was sitting in India, and a woman walked in wearing one of our exclusive diamond, uh, golden diamond ring, and I just gave her this like a really you know, where did you get that? <laughs> and <laughs> and then she said, oh, from this Egyptian designer called. As I was like, I know, okay, I know where it's from. Literally, like you know, like your mom's pictures. Like you mean this lady? <laughs> no, it's really weird because she kept, I left her at the beginning and she's like, I got it from this Egyptian designer. And I'm like, oh, really? And she's like, yeah, her name is Azafami. And she's, I was in Cairo and my friend introduced me. She started telling me all the story. And then I told her basically that I work from the company. So two seconds later, she's calling her husband to tell him that, you know, she met the no. designer and everything. It was really nice. Like, how big is your jewelry collection? Um, mine personally, or the how many collections no, that we yours, have at Azza? No, no, I mean like your personal collection. Like, obviously, all your jewelry is just Azza Fatmi, right? 
No, it? <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> we oh. also collect uh, we also collect antique jewelry. So we'll always every time I go to India or anywhere else, my mother's been collecting over years and years. Um, I don't know if you know that she had a, she wrote a book about four or five years ago called Enchanted Jewelry of Egypt, mm -hmm. and it's basically the um, the uh, jewelry in Egypt in the last hundred years. And this is her personal collection. Um, she's also collected, and I've collected pieces from all over the world. Anything that I come across that I love, I will get. Uh, what's your favorite piece outside of your collection? Where did you find it? I got, last Christmas from India, I got a cobra ring. It's a 3D cobra ring, and I love snakes. Not the real ones, the jewelry ones. You don't like, you don't like real snakes? <laughs> no, I really don't. <laughs> I really don't. So you like the idea of a snake, but you don't want a snake. <laughs> exactly. Like, like <laughs> I love having a snake on me, but not the real thing. <laughs> so um, I, I bought this cobra ring that I absolutely love. You said you spent 10 years working on the Pharaoh collection. I'm going to guess Cleopatra was watched many times over? Or? No, not really, really? actually. Wow. No, not really. We we're, watched we're, her for different reasons but because we were working on a different project, but yes. It's, you uh, can't talk about that, I'm guessing, right now. <laughs> not yet. It's not work in progress. Any, it's coming out in August? <laughs> no, no, it's work in progress. It's work in progress. So, um, but um, the Pharaonic collection was a completely different, uh, it's com it was a completely different approach to Egyptian jewelry. How, how, did, you, how did you go about it? If you uh, Basically, honestly, I have to give the credit to my mom. She, 10 years ago, she started fiddling with the idea of doing a pharaonic collection. And um, every person she came across, some people were super excited about it. And some people were super, no, no, don't go for it. You know, it's so cliche. It's the typical cartouche from Khan Khalili that's being sold to the foreigner, you know, the little gold one. Mm. And um, she started researching and how to approach, have, oh, sorry, how to have a new approach to the pharaonic collection because so many different designers, huge brand names like Dior, like Cartier, like Boucheron, like all these designers, they've had um, Egyptian, uh, Egyptian jewelry, ins Egyptian inspired jewelry, mm. especially after the discovery of Tutankhamun. Yeah. So if you're not gonna offer anything new, then you might as well not do it. So then your mom knew she had to like, She had work. to do a lot of research and finally she came the symbolism mm. in ancient Egyptian times. And this is actually the, one of the things that I will take credit for is that she was going in a particular design direction. And I told her, you know, if you, if you go in that way, it might not get the impact that we want. Just go super modern, who cares, you know? And um, I have to say that after three years in the making, the reactions were unbelievable. We've had women coming in, Egyptian women coming in, and uh, basically, telling my mom hats off, you know, after 5,000 years, you managed to let Egyptian women wear Egyptian jewelry again. Wow. Which was the nicest thing that anyone could take. Any, sorry, the nicest compliment that mm. you can hear. Well, thanks a lot, Amina, for your time. And I'll make sure everyone checks out your designs over at asafefmi.com. So that's the podcast. Uh, man, I want to thank Nairuz. I want to thank Amina Haley. So much fun doing it. And uh, most importantly, I want to thank you guys for listening. Uh, Tweet us over at Ramsville. Check out theegyptmonocle.com right on the comment section. And definitely tell us what you think on SoundCloud. Thanks for your time and uh, have yourself a great week. Peace.